We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hey, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be reading like we have been the end of the chapter, picking up in verse 42. We'll go 42 through the end, which I think is 47. Uh, Just so you know, so again, next week, not meeting, but the week after, the month of February, we'll be going, starting in the book of Titus. So you can get ready for that by reading ahead. It is an open book thing, so you can read ahead. That's a good thing. Uh, But today, just like last week in Acts 2. This is a picture of the early church after the Spirit of God had come among them and empowered them to live out what God had called humanity to be. And they did not do it perfectly, but this is a small little snapshot. You know, it's like the the IG post, right? Or the TikTok. It's like you get one little window into uh, a part of someone's life and you think it's all perfect, right? And so Acts does a good job of continuing to unfold the rest of that story and go, oh, these were regular people. And they messed up too, just like we do. But in this, like in this moment, we get a glimpse into what we can look like as humans in the power of God, in the power of his spirit. And it's really beautiful. So this is what they did. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would help us to receive your word this morning, not just as a history text of something that happened long ago, but as your living and active word that you are speaking to us today as your spirit is desiring to do a work in us, ordinary people. God, would you do that to the glory of the Father and the power of the Spirit, and in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So when I was in third grade, We moved to a new house, new street, and I was about to start at a new school. And I met this kid across the street named Derek, who was my age, and he seemed like a pretty cool kid. We'd play basketball together. He was way better than I was, but it was fun. And I found out he was going to the same school, which I was excited about. So I get to this school, and I show up, and I don't know anybody in my class, and Derek's not in my class. And that was kind of scary, right? Like, kids, have you ever gone to a new school before? been the new kid. So it was a little bit scary. I felt a little awkward. And then we got to lunch, and I kind of sat on my own. And then you go to the playground after lunch, right? So you go to a recess. And I'm kind of looking around like, where's Derek? And I don't see him anywhere. And I'm looking around for like, who's a a crowd maybe that I can go kind of just kind of slide into and kind of sneak in there, right? Uh, And I didn't really feel comfortable with any of it. And then I saw this one kid sitting on a swing all by himself. And I was like, oh, I I'm with you, man. I feel that. So I walked over there, and I sat on the swing next to him. And he looks over at me, and he's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, he talked to me. This is great. So I made a friend, right? 
uh, I don't remember his kid's name, so I'm going to call him Billy today. So I was talking with Billy, and Billy was kind of an odd kid. So was I. But I even thought Billy was an odd kid. Uh, He was a funny kid, though, and he was a ton of fun. He used to carry these quarters around in his pocket, not to buy anything, but he said that they were microchips that he would uh, send away for in the mail, and they would come in, and they each one had a different voice and character, and he would like pretend to slide it in the back of his ear like it was going into his brain, and then he's like, oh, today I got Mickey Mouse came in the mail today, and he would start doing Mickey Mouse's voice, and like he was really good. From my third grade memory, he was really good, you know? And he would do all these impressions. I thought he was awesome. And then as we're hanging out on the swings, my friend Derek starts walking by. I'm like, oh, Derek. And Derek starts walking toward us. And then the kid next to me, Billy, is like, oh, Derek. And just like slouched down in his swing, like looks totally defeated. And Derek comes by. He's like, Chris, what are you doing hanging out with that guy? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. And he's like, you don't want to hang out with him, man. And he walks away to go play basketball. And I was like, looked over at Billy on the swing, and he's just kind of like this on his swing. And to my shame, I slowly got up out of my swing and walked away from Billy, never to play with him again, which is why I don't remember his name. There was this uh, boundary that I wasn't supposed to cross, a social boundary, apparently. That was the first time I learned about it in third grade, that like, you don't, you don't play with that kid if you want to be cool, Right? Now, fortunately, by the time I got to high school, I kind of learned how to navigate through in and out of these boundaries a lot better. And I would hang out with the jocks and the athletes, and I would also hang out with the band geeks. That's what they called themselves, so I'm not being derogative, right? I would hang out with the theater kids. I would, I would hang out with the farmer kids. We had a, a really cool like, agricultural program at our school, right? I, the cowboys, and, and I was just kind of friends with everybody. And I knew how to kind of like a chameleon, like kind of fit in to every crowd. And we've tried to carry that on throughout our lives where where we can befriend almost anybody. And so we've had lots of moments where we're sitting in refugees' homes, not able to understand them and not knowing what the plate of food is in front of us, and yet being able to still sit with them and commune with them, right? We've had lots of moments where we've gone to next-door neighbors' parties where they only speak Spanish, and yo hablo espanol muy mal. That means it's really bad. I think that's what it means if I said it right. And so, but you know, we, we can sit there and still have fun with them, right? And, and we've been able to have like a family into our home who's living on the street so that they can come in and eat dinner and do their laundry. That stuff's awkward, right? But like we, we've learned how to try to navigate through those boundaries we set up because what we've learned is those boundaries are man-made. Those, those boundaries that we set up between people, you don't cross over here and I don't cross over there, are things that we put up in place to be comfortable, to be around people who look and think and talk and act like we do, right? I mean, I've even gone so far as to play in a country band, you guys, while being a rapper at the same time. You can cross these boundaries. They're made up. They're man-made. We've been talking about what God wants to see his church look like this month. And so we started with saying, we want to be a tight-knit community. And we're going to end it with saying, but we want to be a community that's a boundary-crossing team of missionaries. Boundary-crossing mission. So you see in this early church in Acts 2, this tight-knit community start to form where they're willing to sell their possessions if anyone among them has a need. 
Like, oh, you, you can't pay rent? Let me sell some of my stuff and help you pay rent. Like, that's radical, you guys. But what we can't forget is this was a group of people who were made up of people who were all over the world. They had just come in to celebrate uh, a festival together, a Jewish festival, and they were scattered in different regions, different parts of the world, and they came into Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. When Peter opens up the shutters of that upper room and he starts preaching the good news of what Jesus had done for them, and thousands of people start believing. That's how this community was formed from people all over the world speaking different languages, having different customs, coming from different cultures, and yet coming together. Boundary crossing mission. They actually didn't have to go anywhere because the nations were coming to them. So let's, let's not forget that when we say, oh, this is a tight-knit community, and they all kind of had everything in common, right? We read that, we think that they, they shared common interests and ideals, but actually it means they had their literal stuff was in common possession. They didn't have all their thoughts in common yet. They just learned about who this Jesus was, and they were learning how to follow him better. And it got messy at times. And at times, there was some exclusion. At times, there was some, when they would go to the table, they would leave certain people out of it. And then the apostles, the people who Jesus sent to go teach his word, would have to teach them and correct them. No, 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 this is for all people. You are all now brothers and sisters and brought into the same family. It makes me wonder who are the people that we've set up boundaries. Or maybe the boundary has been set up for us and we've just been kind of told to stick to our side, right? Like who are the people that maybe we need to cross over that imaginary boundary in order to share good news with? And sometimes it really is as simple as the stories we just heard of being able to share good news with a coworker while watching a TV show or having a conversation at work. But sometimes it does take a whole lot more intentionality, effort, and it's awkward. It's scary, right? Sometimes it puts you right back to like feeling like that third grade new kid at the school and you don't know anybody and how are they gonna welcome you or receive this? And so sometimes we have this hesitation because of what am I gonna be received as, but sometimes also there's that hesitation of do I want to receive this person here? Do, do I really want to move across this boundary right now? Liam's been holding his hand up for a long time, so I'm going to let him ask a question. I don't know what happened to Billy, man. I never talked to him again because uh, I was a punk third grade kid. Yeah, because I, was, because I was only thinking about me and me being comfortable and me being accepted. So it was a, it was a mistake, right? By God's grace, I've learned from it. We can talk more about it later, okay? So my encouragement is that we would be able to move past that and not just think about our own comfort and hurt people like Billy, right? But that we would actually be able to move toward people, even who are different than us, and bring good news and hope and even healing. And maybe just even a friendship to people who are in need of that. Jesus uh, one time was asked a question of like, hey, What's like really important in this life? What's the most important thing? And he talks about loving God. And he says, right along with that is loving your neighbor. And the people who are sitting there hearing this question, they're like, well, 
who's really our neighbor, right? Like, do you mean Jesus, the person next door? Do you mean Jesus, the person at work? Do you mean Jesus, the people who are kind of like us, right? Well, for this early church in Acts, it was people from all over, from different regions. And, and Jesus responds in a way that says, your neighbor goes far beyond what you think it might be. And so let's turn to Luke chapter 10. And listen to Jesus' words with his response there. We're going to pick up in verse 25. After Jesus is speaking, this uh, man says, an expert of the law, he stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like he's heard Jesus is this guy who's come to talk about eternal life, to really live. So he's, he's testing him. Okay, what, what do I have to do to get that? Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Because he knows this is a teacher of the law. And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. So Jesus doesn't go into a whole sermon. He doesn't go into a whole teaching. He's like, well, you've read it. What does it say? Okay, go do it. Like actually live it out. And let that just, let me pause there for a second. Let that also be a lesson for us to think about and stew on for a moment because we're really good at times of reading and studying. But often we forget the doing, the living, right? Let's be better Bible livers even than we are Bible studiers. So he says, you've read it. What does it say? Okay, go and do that. Verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem. I love how Jesus teaches, right? He doesn't just flat out give him a response. Hey, buddy, it's everybody, right? Like, that's the conclusion I think we're gonna come away with at the end of this. It's everybody, man. Like, just, just love people. Stop trying to justify yourself and, and limit your circle and draw these imaginary boundaries. But Jesus is so much better of a teacher than I am. He's like, this guy asks a question. He goes, let me tell you a story. And he just goes right into a story. You know, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Samaritans actually came out of the same family, but they were considered half-breeds. That meant they were not pure Hebrew, Israelite people, right? And so they had been mixed in with other cultures. And for the Jewish people, they said, that's a no-no. And so they hated them. They were worse to them than other nations were. So they did not like these people at all. And so Jesus is speaking to a Jewish teacher when he tells this story. A Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is like a day's wage, a denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, 
Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked him. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Right? Remember, don't don't just be Bible hearers. Be doers of this word. Go and do the same. The one who proved to be a neighbor was the one who crossed a boundary that they were not willing to cross in that day. You had a priest, someone who should have cared for him, right? And what does he do? He actually crosses to create a boundary. And there would have been some good reason for that too. Like it was actually not clean to touch bodily fluids. And so maybe he's like, I need to stay clean and pure in order to go to the temple. And he's justifying all these things to himself, right? Why he's not going to help this man here. I, I can't touch him or I won't be able to perform the ritual ceremonies that my job requires at the temple. But what God actually requires of us is that we love him and we love others. So he crosses and creates a boundary. The Levite man, this, this was the Levitical family where the priesthood came out of. This was someone who was like, their history runs deep with being God's people. They could trace their ancestry back to God's people who led all of Israel when God had rescued them out of Egypt. And he sees this man and he creates a boundary and he crosses to the other side. Now, a Samaritan who has real boundaries, like you don't touch a Jewish person because they wouldn't touch you. Like they, this guy's probably not even gonna want my help because I'm a Samaritan. He's not gonna want me touching him right now. But I see someone in need. I see someone who's at risk. I see someone who is facing death. And I have an ability to actually go and care for that person. There's a whole book of James that talks about this. That the book of James talks about if you have faith and no works, it's meaningless. What that means is, we're in the, for adults in here, a lot of people are actually contested, like, should James be in the Bible because of that? Because I thought the Bible's all about grace. Like, we don't do anything. God does it for us. And what he's saying is this. If God has done this in you, it should overflow into doing for others. It actually goes hand in hand. Love God and with it, love others, right? And so James says, if you see a person who's in need and they're cold and you have an extra coat and you just look at him and say, be warm and be well. God bless you, brother. I'll be praying for you. Good luck on that one. And you don't do anything, then what good is your faith? What good is it that you say, God loves me. God God has blessed me. God favors me. Man, God is so good to me. What good is that if it doesn't spill out into the people around you? And this man's like, well, okay, fine. Maybe a few people around me. And Jesus says, no, 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 a Samaritan. Someone you would never even think of going near. And he tells the story in such a way where it's not like, hey, you go and help a Samaritan and making the Jewish person the hero. In fact, the Samaritan becomes the hero. I've listened to a lot of people talk about this text before and like, 
what, what, trying to just unpack all of Jesus is saying here. And there's a lot he's saying. But I think oftentimes what we do is we read the story and we think of ourselves as that Samaritan, don't we? And in some ways we should, because Jesus says, go and do the same, right? Go and live this way. That's what we should strive for. But we don't often picture ourselves being the, the priest or the Levite who crosses over and creates a boundary. We don't have to think about that. I think the reality is if we dig deeper into the story, Jesus himself is the boundary crossing Samaritan. The one who at all expense to himself and at all risk to himself moves toward others who are dying and gives of himself in order to bring them life. And listen, you and I, we get to be the donkey. We get to be the mule or whatever beast it was that the man puts the injured person on so he could be carried to safety. We're just, we're just playing our part. Jesus is the one who's bringing healing. Jesus is the one who's bringing hope. Jesus is the one who's bringing good news. Jesus is the one who's bringing life and rescue and salvation. Listen, sometimes he wants to do it through you. Sometimes he's gonna lay someone on your back so that you can carry them so that Jesus can heal them. I'm not talking for kids in here literally about like walking around on all fours and carrying people on your backs, okay? What I'm saying is we get to partner with this loving God who first loved us so that we can love other people. I wanna turn to John 13 real quick. We're gonna take a little tour through some scripture and then we'll wrap up so we can eat. John 13, Jesus says this to his disciples, a new command I give you. He says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now we're gonna go on a little journey here of some things Jesus said because I want us to see a progression of something. I want us to see this cycle Jesus is inviting us into. So he's saying, in the way that I have loved you, you've received this love from me, it should spill out toward one another. Now they're looking around at their friends, right? The other disciples of Jesus who are following along Jesus with each other. And they're going, oh yeah, we got to love one another. We're brothers and sisters. We can look in this room and go, this is a, a church family. Let's love one another the way Jesus has loved us, right? Yes and amen. But Jesus has also said this in Matthew 22, verse 36, we'll start. Teacher, which command of the law is the greatest, right? And so we just had this whole exchange with Jesus and a teacher of the law and he said, what does the law say? And that man rightly said, love God and love others. This other person is asking him, what command is the greatest? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he answers the same way that other teacher of the law did, right? That guy was right. Love God, love others. So Jesus says, in the same way I've loved you, love one another. He also says, love your neighbor, who we just saw was like, that extends pretty far, doesn't it? He also said this in Matthew 5, because I, I can get down with like loving you guys, loving my neighbors who I get along with. But in Matthew 5, during Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. That's what he just said, right? Love your neighbor but you've heard it said, and hate your enemy. 
This is that man trying to justify himself. Well, who's my neighbor? Because I got some enemies and I want to keep them in that category over there. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? These were traitors to their people. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles or the other nations you judge do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Of course you love your family. Of course you love your friends. That's easy to do. You get something out of that relationship, don't you? It's usually reciprocal. I mean, sometimes you fight and sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but like the reality is like there's, there's relationships you enjoy. And Jesus says, anybody can do that. The person who has completely rebelled against God's ways and turned against his very own people, the tax collector, that person still, doesn't he also love the people who treat him well? Anyone can do that. You want to be like your father and the way he's loved you? Love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy as you do your neighbor. It keeps going. And that love doesn't diminish as you go down. That love expands. And it comes full circle too. Because loving your enemy, I mean, that's pretty hard for us to do in our own power, isn't it? We have to remember what we first heard when Jesus says, love your neighbor or love, love one another as I have loved you. Our next verse, Patrick. First John 4.19 tells us this. We love because he first loved us. How in the world are you going to cross these boundaries that our culture has set up in order to love somebody who thinks like differently from you do, who votes differently than you do, who speaks a different language than you do, who wears different clothes than you do, who has different motives and like things that push them along in life, different morals, different values than you do. How are we ever going to love our enemies? Because God has first loved us, even when we were his enemies. Romans tells us this, chapter five, verse eight. God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, you know what else you could replace that word with right there? Enemies. While we were enemies of God, while we were sinners, we rebelled against him. While we were in that state, not his children anymore, right? We rebelled against him. We removed ourselves from his presence, and we said, we're going to do this our way. We don't need you. And while we were in that state, enemies against God, Christ died for us. He crossed the boundary from the heavens into this dirty, broken world. And he took all expense and all pain and all risk upon himself to the point of death on a cross. So that through him giving his life, we could actually know the love of God. And in his death, we find forgiveness. But listen, he didn't stay dead. In his resurrection, in the power of God, bringing him back to the newness of life, 
we actually have the power to go and do the same. We actually have the power for our faith to spill out across boundaries to the world around us. Because that same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave has now been given to us, church, followers of Jesus, believers of God, brothers and sisters, we actually have the power and the strength that we can love our enemies. For some of you, the boundaries that you need to cross, uh, maybe here's, I'll make a confession. For me, those boundaries are not going out and loving the people who are like poor and destitute or maybe are different from me, speak a different language, have a different culture. I've actually found that's easy for me to do. Can I confess to you guys? The people that I have a really hard time crossing boundary and loving are the really morally upright religious people who are judging others. And what I've found is I've become like that because I start judging them. You don't, you don't understand the gospel. You don't really got this together. You whitewashed tomb. You, you look all good on the outside, but really on the inside, your heart is dark and wicked. And then I hear the spirit go, hey, Chris, what about you? Like I'm doing the same thing now that they're doing to other people. And God has called me to cross that boundary and love them as well. Because Jesus sat down, not just with tax collectors and sinners, but also with Pharisees. He spoke to not just the people who were destitute or who were lost and left out, but we just heard he was speaking to the teachers of the law, the morally upright people who thought they were self-righteous and had it all together. He wanted them to hear good news too. And so who is that person for you that the spirit is challenging you to cross boundaries, to move toward, to bring good news? And you don't have to do it alone. You actually have an entire community of people here who you can ask to go with you or you can invite people into. And that's the movement of the church is that we go out into this world, we scatter to bring good news and we come back together, we invite people in. And that's a rhythm. That's why we come back together every Sunday, but we go back into the world on Mondays. We don't keep it in these walls. We cross those boundaries, amen? Would you pray with me that we would live like the Jesus who crossed boundaries to come and give us life? Father, we are grateful for the love you have shown us and that we can love because you first loved us. God, would you help us in the power of your spirit to live like your son, Jesus, to go and do the same, to show love to the world around us, to care for the lost and the hurt and the broken, and to care for those who think they have it all together to love one another. God, in in doing all these things, would we be reminded constantly of the great love you've given to us? We need your spirit to give us that reminder, to refuel us with that good news daily. So we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.